Hello, this is Chris here. I've organised a call today with an exciting company which our member-supported venture capital group are involved with. And so as such, I need to inform listeners of just a few things. So firstly, a disclaimer. The company which I'm talking to today is in our private equity portfolio at Zero, and as such, we have a vested interest in it as shareholders. So this call is not a solicitation for the company or for any private equity investment of any kind. It's not intended to provide financial advice or anything of that nature. It is purely for informational purposes only. Phew, okay. That horse is beaten and dead. So that out of the way, I wanted to welcome Eugene's Greg Adams, the CEO of Stabilitas, and Chris Hurst, the COO. Welcome, James. Thanks so much. Hey, it's really good to be here with you, Chris. Uh, thanks for having us on. So your your company, Stabilitas, James, is bringing military-quality travel risk management technology to travelers globally, um, something that hasn't existed in the hands of the individual previously. Um, this has gotten us fairly excited. I wanted to see if you guys could um, firstly tell us how you got into that particular space first. Yeah, so um, this, is, this is Greg speaking. Um, you know, the whole co-founding team, we all come from a, a military background, and I think, you know, we all take safety and security pretty seriously from just the the military background, making sure that we had accountability for, for people in our, our organization. Um, but it's very much a fundamental human need that I think everyone can relate to. When you look at uh, people traveling internationally, safety and security are always reported as the primary concerns of those international travelers, and there are more than a billion international trips a year. And so as, as we left the military, we looked at um, what can we do to still have an impact in the world uh, that was, was big, uh, scalable, and you know, gave us a sense of mission, I think, that we, we had in the military, and that's kind of how we, we came to the idea that it's to build with us. Uh, we had certain tools in the military which gave us peace of mind, situational awareness, and uh, we saw the, the chance to address a, a very real human need that is, uh, exists and is becoming even more prevalent as more and more people travel internationally for work. So very, very quickly, Greg, your and Chris's background. Um, you mentioned that you've got you come from a military background. I wonder if you could just elaborate a little bit on that for us. Yeah, so I guess we'll start with me, and I'll let Chris share a little bit of his his own story. But I, I was uh, I was in the army for ten years and last as a special forces officer. So you know, I built honestly small armies from from zero to, to seven several hundred people. Um, to take on groups like the, the Taliban. And, and often I was um, on short deployments all over the world in, in areas that I was unfamiliar with. And we had certain tools that, in combat zones especially that, that we would use um, to understand where one another were, to be able to render aid in an emergency. Um, and it really changed how intelligence, honestly, was, was, was collected. Um, as... I, as I left combat zones, um, I didn't have those same tools available. And, you know, a, a time where that became um, a problem and I saw kind of the opportunity um, was when we had a, a short deployment to Indonesia and I had a, a couple soldiers in, in my broader unit go, go missing for a couple of days. And we eventually found them in a hospital. They'd been uh, mugged. In a part of town, we, we had no idea because nobody was able to, to, to recollect the facts. But um, 
one had his skull cracked and had to be life flighted back to the United States. And we look, we looked at our, our policies for how we kept track of people. And we were using best practices that global 2000 companies um, use, basically flight itineraries and, and phone trees to get out emergency notification information. And it just wasn't good enough. The tools we had in the combat zone were, were much better. Of course, they were proprietary. They had some uh, limits to how they would work. Um, so we couldn't necessarily share information, for instance, with people that were outside our organization. Um, it seemed to, to be the, this opportunity to take the, the military kind of grade concept of, of sharing information in real time and understanding where people's locations were. And with cloud-based data and smartphones, take that over to, uh, you know, the, the countries that we weren't able to address yet with the military-grade equipment. Um, you know, the, the Indonesia in the case with uh, the soldier that we had, you know, one of them was a Delta Force soldier and the, the other one, you know, a, a Green Beret. We lost millions of dollars in training and, you know, it was a $500,000 mission that was, was canceled in a, a politically sensitive environment that we spent a lot of time getting back into. So, you know, the organization felt a loss for quite a while. Um, every company faces those challenges because every company is, is international in, in some uh, regard nowadays. And, and I don't think Indonesia is, is often at the top of the high risk list uh, of places to travel. But, um, you know, again, every, every company has people traveling internationally right now. Even, even our company, you know, with, with six employees has had five international trips this year. And so there seems to be a, a really big opportunity to, um, to create transparency around the security information and um, keep people safer, but also keep them more productive and um, just make them all better off. Okay, so um, your background clearly is is one which allows you to address a lot of these travel risk type of um, type of issues. What, with respect to private companies, because what you know what you just alluded to there was um, was in the military. Can you can you give me any sorts of um, information around you know um, really I guess the target market that um, that's the Bilitas is going after and um, you know quite frankly a market which at this point in time has been fragmented as far as I can tell and and hasn't had a um, uh, a robust um, source of, um, of of information to go on so you know, can, can you can you guys delve into a little bit around the, the, the private sector and um, and what what the problems in that sector are and what um, and how develop us is addressing those issues Hey, I'll jump in here, Chris. This is uh, Chris Hurst, the COO, and, and I, I handle our uh, our sales and marketing efforts at Sibelsoft. But just kind of a quick personal story that I think shows the motivation and also the problem that we're solving. Uh, I, I was an Army officer as well, and I, I left active duty in 2006 and joined an engineer firm. And I realized my engineer firm had all these capabilities uh, to support uh, airfield construction, water, wastewater, power. Uh, and it happened that the, the military really needed uh, this kind of uh, capability and other, not just the military, other uh, government agencies needed this kind of capability, particularly in that timeline, if you remember 2006. Uh, and so the government and other customers would ask us to, to go take on these projects. And there was this huge uncertainty about the safety of remote areas. And this was true for Afghanistan, Iraq, but it was also true for uh, other places that we were asked to go, like like Mexico and Brazil. 
And so, you know, I'm asking employees, civilians, and I, I was a civilian myself, to get get on a plane with me and, and go to a place. And they were looking at me like, man, all the news feels, it just, it felt uh, too risky. And so from, from a project management perspective, uh, I felt like I was potentially putting the company at risk, putting my own employees at risk. But I had also traveled enough, and, and I think what we like, one of the things we like about therapy, you guys travel a lot. You know that the, the, the perception of risk is often completely different than the reality on the ground. And so that was all the way back in 2006, and we started thinking, and there needs to be a way to know exactly what's happening from a safety and security perspective. Like, if, if humans have figured this out for traffic, why haven't we figured this out for security? Yeah. No, so when we talk about the market opportunity there from, from our perspective, you know, there's right now like large companies spend quite a bit on taking care of these, taking care of their employees. It's called duty of care uh, and their legal requirements to make sure that you're, you're following industry best practices. But um, that, that's, that's a, a big market um, as it exists right now. Uh, companies spend a lot on building a security staff in, in a program. Um, but smaller companies don't don't have anything, and there are many many more smaller companies. There, you know, there are two thousand global two thousand companies, but there are another sixty four thousand companies with more than a thousand employees. Um, and then all those other small companies out there, and even consumer travelers that really don't have anything that provides them risk information uh, in a way to get help in an emergency, either help that they provide themselves or that they, they um, can can request, honestly, the, the push of a button using the computer they're carrying around with them in their pocket every day. And so, you know, right now our strategy is to, to prove that oh, we have something that, that works and, and works well with those larger companies, but then because, um, you know, we're, we're software and we're easy to deploy as, as a turnkey solution uh, right to people's phones, that we can can get after markets that, honestly, the, 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 uh, the bigger Security providers and, and uh, risk management providers—they can't can't touch. I can. Uh, this is Chris again. I can give a little a little uh, personal experience on this as well. At the engineer firm I mentioned, we paid seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars for our duty of care solution, so three quarters of a million dollars. And the type of information I was getting about safety and security uh, was was. Like in a PDF file, and, and this continued. I, the story I mentioned earlier was from 2006, uh, but even after linking up with Greg at Harvard again in, in grad school, I served as an enterprise risk manager for Mercy Corps, and Mercy Corps is a large nonprofit. We had uh, people in more than 40 countries, and just a story to kind of make this make this clear: we were putting in a, a water project in the Congo, and to get to this is the eastern portion of the Congo to get there. Uh, you fly into Kigali, which is in Rwanda, you know, across the border, and our Mercy Corps was paying a whole lot of money uh, for duty of care solutions that looked like the following. They they would send me an email based on where I flew into, based on Kigali, saying, here's the risk that we're seeing for this area. And as a as both a risk manager and an employee, you could piss me off because the information always felt out of date. It was like a PDF file. So as soon as I got it, I was like, well, you know, this is sort of what happened over the last month. This is, this is not granular. This is not timely. Second, it didn't show me anything about who was affected on my teams. And I had people in the area. I, I needed to know, like, well, does this information affect my people or my operations right now? And third, it was about Rwanda. 
So because that's where the flight itinerary was. So that's really the technical uh, state of the art today is to match flight itineraries with these like outdated information. Uh, and so that was particularly frustrating, particularly because my employees were sending me articles uh, that they were saying about uh, about the Congo. And these were articles like, you know, M23, a militia group uh, attacking Congolese troops near near where we were putting in our water system. But even that situation was changing so much and so frequently uh, that our, our project site was actually never affected. And I, I needed to know what's happening Again, at much a much more granular level, and one one just more story around that. Uh, this is it's a bit traumatic, but I, I had a female colleague who, in crossing the border from from Rwanda into the Congo, she was sexually uh, assaulted by a border official, and this was really traumatic for her. You could imagine her her feeling. You know, this this is a government official who she should be able to trust. It was frustrating for me as a risk manager. As well, because I wanted to share this information with my friends, uh, with other colleagues in the company, with my employees, with even other other firms. Risk managers like me, we used to work together pretty closely to share information, and there were terrible tools to do that. It became even worse when we found out this guy, this border official, had a reputation for this this kind of activity. So here you got a guy every day he's harassing people when they when they cross the border. People know about it, but there's no easy way to share this information. And that just felt that felt untenable that the world was that way. The technology has allowed us to, to solve that problem. And so we felt this should be on a map. And I started, we started looking at how other uh, organizations use maps to share information. And we looked at the U.S. government, the United Kingdom. And the, I don't know if you've ever been to the like, State Park website, but there's these big orange and red maps that basically say, don't go here. And so we needed something much more granular and timely than what we were paying so much money for and so this is when Greg and I started, started well, before this, but we started thinking, man, we should build this ourselves. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a great example. There was a couple of things that came out of that, Chris. One, you know, the size, that spending $750,000 for a um, travel uh, risk management um, information may sound like quite a lot of money, but then at the end of the day, what you're looking at is you're, you're, you're dealing with people's lives, um, which are, you know, of, of high value, shall we say. And, you know, I was just looking at some of the stats in this. Um, one of the things that really blew my mind was that in the global business travel, um, it's, it's estimated that um, the actual spend on, um, on business travel is going to hit $1.25 trillion this year, and that's 2015, and it's growing at 6.5% a year. So, you know, this is this is a huge, huge market, and um, the other the other aspect that you know I think clearly brings this up is with what has existed in the past, um, or actually exists today. The way that you know this market operates at the moment is very, very centralized. And um, you know, when we look across other sectors of society that have been disrupted by technology, it's always been a decentralization that's allowed this massive expansion of of, um, of information flow, and um, you know, so I guess that's um, that's one of the things that really, really um, was interesting when looking at your company. And um, I wondered if you could, um, you know, if if you could put 
put me as say a, you know um, a company executive, and I'm traveling in a high risk country, which has you know got this uh, various um, reputations for abductions or whatever it is like that. Um, how is it that you guys are actually going to solve that problem for me? So you know, um, let's assume that um, I'm going to go across that border that you just discussed, and I'm a I'm a female operative, uh, female you know executive. Um, how is this information going to get to me? How is it that you guys are solving that particular issue? Well, I'll start in, you know, to address that specific example and then turn it over to Greg for, you know, broader generalities. But in, in the case of the border crossing, this is a guy that's, that's always there, that has a, has a pattern of this kind of, that has a reputation for this, this kind of behavior. And so we, we want to do something very simple, which is uh, plot this on a map such that when the smartphone user is close to that incident, a little warning pops up that says, avoid this particular official. That's it. Uh, and so that's, that's really the sim sim simplicity and the power of what we're doing is we're matching real-time locations with real-time uh, risk information. And I, I just want to touch on something that you said. When, when you talk about the power of decentralization, I think you're exactly right. And, that, that's, that is the trend for technology across so many industries. There's a real advantage for us in this industry in particular because the marketing campaigns of the big incumbents sound like the following. They say, look, you should trust experts to tell you how the world uh, works. And it's true that expert analysts have some value, but an ex there was no expert that knew anything about this border guard or that knew about the, this, we have, uh, we have customers in Mexico that knew about the shooting at the village where some of our customers, uh, before we got there, they drove their car to a shooting, to, to a village where there had been an increase of shootings. So if we can, you know, the, the general counsel of this Fortune 500 company in Mexico said, Chris, if you can just help us mark off these cities where we already know the shootings are happening and just be able to alert our drivers Look, if it's after 7 p.m., avoid these particular neighborhoods. Uh, it's, it's technically it's a it's a simple uh, it's a simple proposition, but I think it's so powerful uh, and 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 really quite profound. Okay, so you guys have you know, um, I get the I get the concept of the border official, right? Because you've got this history of of offenses, and so that's that's those are data points which you can aggregate into a system and you can spit it out. So you know, I, presumably, I could have you know, GPS on my phone tells me that I'm coming closer to this this you know, source of problem. I get an alert, and I could potentially drill down and find out find out a little bit more granular detail around why I'm getting that alert. And you know, I find out that this guy's a um, you know, a serial offender, and now I've got a lot more information to go on. What um, with respect to you know the, the Mexico, for example, where you just had had a number of shootings you know taking place, and that's happening almost kind of real time. Um, so let's, let's just assume, for example, that you've got this village, which is very, very calm. It hasn't had any particular issues for, for many months. So there's, there's no real data points that are telling you that there's, there's any issues there. But as soon as you have an increased level of activity, um, that information flow needs to be, it needs to be instantaneous, right? I don't want to, just as yeah. you mentioned before, yeah. so I, I don't want to get a PDF report a month later when, you know, I'm traveling to that particular village tomorrow, and today there's a number of shootings that are taking place. Um, so, um, you know, so this is this is really a powerful. 
Sorry, we, we clearly get I clearly get excited and, and I, I may have interrupted you there, but I think this is part of uh, what makes us so innovative is there are existing networks of security managers and security minded people today who informally share information. And so today that WhatsApp is actually a really interesting tool that people use to basically text each other. I, I, I give a specific example. Uh, on April 17th this year, uh, Jose Fuentes, who's the alleged leader of the Gulf Cartel, he was arrested in Tamaulipas, which is a, a region in, in Mexico. And within within days, his colleagues started setting up blockades, trying to keep this guy from being extradited out of the country. And, and this was, these are really violent blockades. They they lit trucks on fire. There were gunfights going on around them. And as the Bilotas representative, and one of our representatives in Mexico, he's a former uh, Exxon security manager for for, uh, for all of Mexico, and he started thinking, oh my gosh, I have people in this area, I think, I think I have people in the area, and how do I let them know about this area, about this incident? And so we make it very, very simple for uh, someone like, like Fernando. Uh, and, and so I'll give you, I'll give you a, a, new, a new scenario. We're working with, with a, a large Fortune 500 company in Mexico. Imagine one of their employees sees that incident, Rather than texting it, they're able to just plot it on a, on a map within a couple buttons. So within seconds, they're able to plot it on a map. And within seconds, other employees at the same firm are able to see that information right where it's happening in near real time and avoid the area. That's really, really powerful, but it gets even more powerful because this Fortune 500 firm is a member of a network called Antad, which is a retail association. And there's about 100 different brands there that are huge, huge brands. Um, Walmart, uh, 7-Eleven is a member there. So imagine now that every Walmart truck driver on the ground is, is made aware of the information. Every OXO store manager, every 7-Eleven employee. This is the future for sharing information in any method and particularly about security. We've seen it so powerfully executed with, with Waze. And I think, uh, what our innovation does is apply some of that uh, crowdsourcing methodology and principles, but really using the existing infrastructure of uh, business relationships and trusted networks like like these large brands. Yeah, that I mean that gives you that real time situational awareness. Um, I mean, I'll, it's it's funny as as you're as you're talking, Chris. I just had a, a flashback to um, many years back. My wife and I were traveling in Peru, and at the time there was. Um, disputes on the border between Bolivia and Peru, and we'd just come back in from La Paz. Um, we were jumping on a bus to go and um, hike Machu Picchu, and um, and you know, firstly we couldn't speak the language, so we were you know stumbling around with our, our broken Spanish, trying to find a bus that was going to take us there. And at the time, um, you know, there weren't that many bus drivers that were wanting to go, which we didn't know why that was the case. Okay, eventually we found a bus which. Um, which was traveling. And so we jumped on this bus and, um, and headed out of town. And before we'd even gotten out of town, suddenly we found ourselves in this situation with um, blockades, burning tires across the roads, and people throwing stones at the bus because there was, there was some dispute going on. And, um, and there was a group that didn't want, um, didn't want anybody traveling. And I, I, I still don't to this day know exactly what the issues were, but, you know, we were we were told quickly close all of the curtains in the bus, and you know this bus was was circling around um, residential neighbourhoods, trying to trying to find a way out with um, with a you know mob of angry people around. And 
I remember sitting there as a twenty you know, something year old, um, you know, with my <laughs> with the with the love of my life, thinking, oh my gosh, what have we gotten ourselves into? Um, and you know, that kind of information, I could have jumped onto uh, a smartphone and relayed that information to you know, at the time I was backpacking, I could have relayed it across to you know dozens or hundreds of other backpackers that were in the area, and they would have had real time information to to go on. Um, so I think that you know what you what you've got is is certainly really really powerful. And well, uh, further, sorry, go go on. <laughs> I, I, I just should keep apologizing. Like I said, we we are excited about this. You mentioned the sort of real time breaking incidents and the story from uh, from from Altamira and, and with Tom Comalitas, as I mentioned, with Jose Puentes. That that was exactly the, the same of the same category. But there's a different category. Which I mentioned earlier was the, the village uh, that had seen uh, an increase in shootings. This is there are these patterns that exist all over the world with particular areas uh, in particular times. The information about these patterns is often available or known either available at some website or at someone in the, in your like various degrees of connection to you, but it's not available when you need to know it. And this is what the general counsel was 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 pointing to when she asked to set up for Civilitas was how how can you help us you know help an employee in the security team who knows about these patterns mark it on a map and deliver that information to every employee in the company in a way to help them uh, make better decisions about where to go and not to go. And she actually her her excitement extended beyond. Just the excitement for you know improved uh, or reduced liability and improved safety, but it's also she thought this would be really valuable from a, a perspective to be able to push back even to the government to say, look, here's the data that shows uh, that your people are not doing a good job in these areas. This is the the first the first uh, function of government is to provide for the safety of its people, and it's again it's heartbreaking and frustrating that this data isn't available today. And so this uh, this network of sharing information, I think, is the way to solve the problem. And it's also it's also a beautiful business model because the more people that join, uh, the more valuable the information gets, and the more pressure there is to join. I want to dig in on a, a separate thought there for a, se- yeah, a second, Chris. Like you mentioned that um, you know the the general counsel wanted to help hold the the local government accountable and that. You know, government provides safety and security um, for for citizens. As companies become multinational and as people travel internationally uh, more and more often, you know, you, you need a, a solid standard of, of what you can expect, or at least a, a backup plan. And so, you know, we provide all of that in, in one spot, so that you know you can get some expectation of, hey, what is happening in the place that I'm going to where, you know, rule of law might not be as well established. Chris was talking about Mexico. And in Mexico, when companies go in there, they have to spend quite a bit on security and understanding that and understanding, like, how that will will impact you. um, We make that transparent. And then giving, like, the backup plan. So, you know, when you were in Peru, um, you know, you did the the breaking news um, example, but what about you know, just if you got sick from from eating some some bad bad food there or something that you just weren't uh, you know accustomed to, like wh- where do you go for for help? What do people normally get sick with there? Like, hey, are, 
are you or do you need to worry for your life or is there something that's going to pass in, in 24 hours like we make that information available to you as well and then you know you know the social network aspect of stabilitas can can add some some color to that um, you know on the map you could see where the the local place is that you would go to, to get help um, as far as uh, you know pharmacy in this case or a doctor and then maybe some feedback on on like how that experience had gone for another backpacker. I'll, I'll actually respond to that as well. I, I worked with a team of economists in East Africa. Uh, in, it was actually during the independence of South Sudan. And I had a, a student from, a fellow, fellow classmate from Harvard, actually, who had a, developed a, a really deep eye infection. And Google had nothing to say about where we could get resources for the eye infection. And so we ended up uh, using, like, UN networks to try to figure out where. There's sort of, like, one decent hospital in the whole country. And so the ability, the ability to have had that information on a map uh, right away would have been so power, powerful for me. And it's, it, this is another example for, uh, you know, an awesome market potential is the, uh, the university and traveling student space. It's almost like, you know, the way that I'm, as you guys are talking, the way I'm sort of thinking of it is you've got this constantly updating Wikipedia that, you know, it's providing you, um, you know, legacy information as well as real time information on situational, situational awareness. Um, so I, one thing I wanted to ask you is, cause, you know, Greg, you sent through, um, a really, really interesting report to me just, just, I think it was maybe like um, a couple of days after the Paris attacks, and um, you know what that what you know what that indicated was that there was um, there was the potential to um, have real time information ahead of those attacks, um, and I wonder if you could just speak a little bit about that um, that now. Right. So um, yeah, we we. Uh, we have an, an engine, so we're using basically machine learning to help us better better understand the world as far as safety and security are concerned. Part of the part of the way we do that is pull in, you know, open source information. So your newspaper headlines um, on, on what is happening in, in the newspaper articles themselves, and what's what's happening around the world. Uh, we have a, machine, a a training data set basically of risk and threat words um, that we bounce off of a prediction API and you know, use the newspaper articles to identify data points where, you know, there was a threat in a city. And then we can do some, some analysis on, on that historically. And then going forward, we can see if, you know, there are any new trends that are emerging that we hadn't necessarily seen before when, when looking at that historical data. So some really fun stuff as far as uh, machine learning aspects. And, um, you know, I, I wouldn't say that predictive is, is the way we look at this. Um, we couldn't predict necessarily the, the Paris attacks, but there were a lot of signals um, on the, the day of the Paris attacks. And, and I'll get it, the, the details here look like, like this. So we had pulled in um, you know, several months worth of uh, newspaper reports on, on Paris. Uh, there have been like some low level threat words from time to time. There's a, a shooting in town or there's a protest, something like that, that pops up and, and we see that. But in, on the day of the Paris attacks, um, there were actually 10 
newspaper headlines with threats or with uh, bomb threats called in. Those turned out to be two separate reports. One was a report on um, the hotel where the German national soccer team was um, was staying, and they ended up being evacuated from the hotel. And uh, there was a a bomb threat at a, a subway, and uh, the subway was shut down for a while, or a subway stop was shut down. These were both within several kilometers of each other in in the city of Paris. And the last news headline we picked up there was 30 minutes before the 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 first suicide bomber blew up at, at the Stade de France. And, um, and so I, I wouldn't say that we were necessarily predictive, but there were signs out there that day that there were some, some bomb threats in town and that people should have been at a, a higher uh, risk consideration level. So paying more attention to what's going on around them, maybe avoid large crowds where you can. And then as far as your security staff goes, you want to know exactly which travelers you have somewhere in that situation in case things do go wrong and that they would know where they, they, would, they would get help. Uh, if there were to be an emergency. And so we can automate all that process so that basically this is just a um, a button that kind of pops up in front of a security manager where they forward information to uh, their travelers or even the travelers themselves, they get an automatic notification just based on the threat word is so significant and there have been so many threats reported in a short period of time that we think you should take the, the following uh, precautions. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, when I looked at that report, it was interesting because you did, as you mentioned, you don't have necessarily predictive, um, and it's not telling you that there's going to be any um, any security incidents. But you could clearly see in the on the graph graphical representation that you had this you had an anomaly that that had, um, over time um, where there was an increased level of um, of risk based on those um, informational reports, and um, you know so that in itself it would would um, would put you on some level of alert, and you say, okay, they, you know, there is a higher risk. You can just got it up now. Um, then there, you know, then there was for well, the last two, three weeks, or whatever the case might be. Um, so I wanted to ask, is would it be okay if I shared that particular report that you you sent me, Greg, um, with listeners? Uh, absolutely. Um, yeah, please. We're, we're interested in feedback. We're interested in connecting with with other people that that have. Um, you know, an interest in exploring the same subject. We're, we're trying to figure out, you know, going back and looking at other data now, like, hey, is, is there, you know, some background information on Paris that might mean that certain parts of Paris are actually at higher risk, you know, for, for future travel um, or, or not, and especially when, when blending it in with uh, the, uh, the reports that we have on the, the day of the Paris attacks. Um, yeah, please, please do. We're interested in, in, in talking about it and seeing what, what um, you know, suggestions that, that others have and, and how we can uh, make the product we're building better. Great. Well, James, it's been, um, it's been a lot of fun. I really appreciate your time. And um, I'm not going to keep you any longer because you've got, you've got lots of work to do. And, um, yeah, I just um, appreciate your time. And onward and upward. Best of luck. <laughs> Thanks very much, Chris. It was our pleasure. I uh, really enjoyed talking with you. And, uh, yeah, if you, if you have any other questions, you know, feel free to hit us up. We look forward to talking again soon. Great. Thanks, James. Thanks, Chris.